Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we're talking running backs today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 249. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a guy who I think is just a really, really smart voice in the fantasy space, and that's Graham Barfield, who's the co-owner over at FantasyPoints.com. Really, really excited to welcome Graham to the show because he really specializes in evaluating the running back position, and we're not, you know, it's gonna we're gonna talk about kind of his baby, which is the yards created metric, uh, which is all about the uh, running back's ability to create the first man miss. But one of the things that always stood out to me when all my conversations before with Graham is that while you're talking about anal- you know, a cer- certain level of, a, of an analytic and a metric, everything is based off of what he sees on the film. And, and you talk about some of the things that he looks for from an evaluation standpoint. I've always been really impressed with Graham. Uh, so really excited to try to kind of jump into this. We're going to talk about Miles Sanders, traits that matter at the running back position, how you can kind of forecast success, not just for NFL players, but for college players moving on to the NFL as well. Let's not waste any more time, though. Let's dive into our chat now. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, we're really excited to welcome in this week to the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade here on Chalk Talk, Graham Barfield, who's the co-owner at FantasyPoints.com, the creator of Yards Created. So, uh, Graham, I, I, I think let's hit on those two things uh, at the top. New website that just debuted this offseason. Really, really excited for you guys. You know, John Hansen and Joe Dolan and Tom Brawley, all of you guys, uh, with all the great work that you've always done in that space over the last decade plus, uh, obviously longer for, for, for John. But when you talk about uh, FantasyPoints.com, just, uh, just give us a little bit of background here. What, what's the story behind FantasyPoints.com and what kind of stuff are you guys offering? Yeah, hey, friend. Um, really excited. Yeah, I was with John and Joe and, and Tom back at Fantasy Guru uh, three, four years ago. Uh, that's how I met those guys and started working with those guys. Um, I, I took a, a little uh, – I guess brief sojourn. I worked for the NFL for two years, and then now we're kind of all back together with this new venture. And we brought in uh, not only is it the old crew, uh, including Ben Kukanis, who's just an absolute yep. stud. He's like our yep. producer uh, and does everything behind the scenes for us. But we brought in Scott Barrett full time from from PFF. Really excited to work with him. Uh, one of the sharpest fantasy minds in the industry, and and you know Greg Cosell, Fran. I mean, just the the, the wealth of knowledge that he provides. Greg is, is uh, doing a bunch of really great write-ups for us. Adam Kaplan, again, you know him well. We're all kind of in the same circle here. Yes, right. uh, but Adam Kaplan's a big part of the site, too. He's going to be providing some some insider knowledge for us, and he's already done a couple articles up on the site, too. So we kind of just have a really fun, robust team of fantasy analysts and then people just you know bringing in all their different you know great angles and intel. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we've uh, you know always used you guys. We we've used Joe Dolan for content on PhiladelphiaEagles.com in the past for you know in that fantasy space, and you, know, you guys consistently have always created such great content. And I think what you, your baby has been yards created with the running back position. That's really why I wanted to kind of bring you on here and just kind of talk through that position uh, and some of the things that matter most 
when you're trying to evaluate that, not just from a fantasy standpoint, but from an on-field production standpoint as well. Uh, take us through yards created, though, and kind of how you came up with it uh, and really what it kind of stands for. What, what are the, uh, the things that that stands on in terms of what value it brings to the fantasy space? Sure. So yards created is something I've been doing now for uh, now five years. This will be the fifth year I've been doing it. And um, it's basically the, the amount of yards a running back creates on his own independent of offensive line play. And I've been doing this only for college football uh, over the last five years. And it's, it's done a pretty good job, I think, of uh, showing the most talented backs and who is kind of uh, creating on their own uh, outside of the, their, you know, the, their blocking scheme or outside of their, their scheme. Um, uh, you know, I think we'll get into the, the running back debate here in the NFL, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, later in the show, but uh, I, you know, I think I think a lot of the, the the data that I've pulled for yards created has been fairly predictive. I mean, if you look at the top of my database, which you can find uh, for free with a free account on FantasyPoints.com right now, uh, hit the research tab, go to yards created, you can find all of my data there. And uh, the top of the the top of the charts for yards created is you know it's Joe Mixon, it's Zeke Elliott, it's Saquon Barkley, a lot of extremely talented running backs. That have gone on to produce, you know, obviously not only just like high-end fantasy uh, fantasy seasons, but just multiple high-end fantasy seasons. And uh, maybe we'll talk about Joe Mixon too. But I'm I'm really excited about him uh, for this coming season. But uh, yeah, I think I think you're, I went into yards created not fully expecting it to be kind of a predictive metric. I just kind of wanted to uh, I, I wanted to kind of better describe how running backs win and maybe learn a little bit more. But um, I think it's turned into a pretty good barometer for future fantasy success. So take us through it, though. How do you kind of separate yards that you would give to the offensive line and the and the scheme, uh, you know, from the yards that are created by the back? Right. So one way to think about it is like second level yards. So once a running back, let's say on a play, or you know, the, the offensive line does do its job. Let's say we're running inside zone. We're going through the a gap. Offensive line opens up a massive hole, which happens pretty often in college football. Uh, but once the running back gets to the second level, the second level of defenders. Uh, where the linebackers are at, that's where I start accounting for the yards a running back creates on his own. Now, granted, every you know we all know that that doesn't happen every single time. You draw plays, and uh, they're not going to work out. So when a uh, you know let's say an offensive lineman you know gets blown up, the interior guard gets blown up, gets pushed back uh, two yards, and the off you know the, the running back has to kind of bounce around him uh, to get around him to create yards. Uh, that's kind of when I use a little bit of subjectivity and just watching the game film and watching every single play. Uh, to kind of determine, okay, you know this this in, you know this interior offensive line right here, just on this particular play, got blown up, and uh, the the running back had to do a little bit more than he was uh, planning for. And I love it because really, it's a it's a way to kind of put a valuation onto one of the traits that I personally value most is that you know the ability to make that first man miss, and so you know being able to say, okay, like if if I consider that trait to be uber important when evaluating running backs then being able to say okay well this guy does it at a higher rate and here are the numbers to kind of back that up and kind of stack those guys off that uh, to me that's what makes it such a fascinating stat to follow and to be able to look at when you're looking at uh college backs and the evaluating nfl backs as well for sure and you know not to take anything away from like your you know yards after contact or yards before contact because those can be two pretty good stats you know if you're looking at it from a high level view you're probably going to get some pretty good takeaways from it. Uh, but the problem with like yards before contact is it's like Christian McCaffrey uh, was, I mean, unbelievable last year at basically not having anybody touch him. 
Um, and it wasn't that the, the Panthers offensive line was that great. It was just McCaffrey was, you know, consistently creating, you know, half a yard or a yard every single play before contact, before defender even got to him. So I do think yards created also does a pretty good job of maybe uh, alleviating some of the yards before contact uh, problems too, because you're already accounting for those yards. Yeah, and I think that too, it, it also kind of separates the guys because there's lots of different ways to be able to create your own yardage. You know, some guys do it uh, with vision, with their eyes. Some guys do it with, you know, short area burst to kind of take away an angle. Uh, some guys do it with wiggle. Some guys do it with balance and content and power on contact. So there's lots of ways to create your own yardage. And I, I think, you're, you know, your ability to just say, and you, and you knowingly, knowingly knowing that it's subjective. So it's not like, hey, like this is hard, fast, like this is, you know, it's black and white. Um, but I think being able to say, okay, like this is how this guy uh, is able to create his yardage. There's, there's so much value in that. Let me just get tee this up for you here. One of the questions I was going to ask you was, does it matter to you? Or, you know, do, do you, you know, kind of put more value in a guy that uh, creates his yardage with wiggle or vision or balance or power, or does it not matter in your eyes? Do you feel like, and not necessarily just for yards created and for the data, but in your mind, like, is it like, man, like, I really would like to see a guy do it this way versus that way in terms of the NFL success. Yeah. So I actually chart missed tackles by power, elusiveness, and speed. I split it out three different ways. Again, I'm watching every play. So I have, you know, the ability to, to kind of go back and, and rewind and watch. I think by far the biggest trade that I look for for backs is elusiveness. Mm. Um, if you just go back and, and look through my database the top five running backs over the last five years in this tackles forced by elusiveness are Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt, and Christian McCaffrey. Dalvin Cook is sixth. Miles Sanders is ninth. DeAndre Swift is tied with Miles Sanders for ninth. Um, I just think you're, if you're nimble enough to create um, on your own uh, one, in a one-on-one situation in college football at you know a high level, you know Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, and Saquon Barkley all faced high level competition same with Christian McCaffrey and you're doing that at a consistent basis at the college level I think that's been one of the things that I've seen correlate most to NFL success well you mentioned I want to ask you about uh Miles Sanders what, what are your thoughts on the Eagles running back room as it sits right now uh how did he fare I guess you, you said he was ninth in elusiveness uh how did he fare overall in yards created when he came out of Penn State last spring yeah you know so Miles Sanders was obviously a one-year starter behind Saquon Barkley uh I thought you know, just kind of going back and, and thinking about through his scouting report, I thought that Sanders was obviously a high-level traits runner. I mean, you can't have, you know, elite elusiveness like that without being high-level traits. But I also came back to, I, I thought that he had a little bit uh, of improvement to do um, in kind of setting up blocks and uh, understanding where to go in the context of their run game. At Penn State. Now, granted, Penn State's blocking was really, really bad. I mean, Saquon Barkley still didn't get enough credit uh, for creating on his own a bunch uh, behind a pretty bad Penn State offensive line. Miles Sanders' offensive line wasn't particularly good either. Uh, that being said, though, I think Sanders, you know, established high-level traits, especially as a as elusive runner. Uh, the little bit that they did use him as a pass catcher coming out of Penn State, I thought was fantastic. And last year, uh, you know, I, anybody with a brain watching the Eagles last year saw that Miles Sanders was. Uh, one of their one of their you know most dynamic weapons in the passing game. Um, I thought Sanders had a little bit to do, to do improvement in terms of his vision, and I think once we kind of got later into the year last year, and he got some more reps and kind of got a little bit better understanding behind the Eagles' offensive line. I think you saw uh, just a little bit of patience come out of him, and uh, and it, it was kind of the the rest is history, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, how do you kind of view him moving forward into 2020? And you can speak on this from a, a fantasy standpoint and also just from, uh, you know, a fan of the game and kind of stacking running backs, looking at the running backs from around the league. How do you kind of view Miles uh, going into year two? Right. So during the preseason and the first couple of weeks last year, I thought Miles was playing just a little too fast. I thought he was trying to do a little bit too much. He kind of had a tendency to bounce runs at Penn State too, and he, he did a little bit of that with the Eagles. But, yep. man, like once he got into the middle of the season last year and kind of got a little more comfortable, uh, his run game was fantastic. I was never really concerned about him as a pass catcher. Um, you know, even though he didn't do too much at Penn State, I just thought he'd be awesome there. For fantasy, I, I mean – Fran, if they're not going to sign Devonta Freeman or another, you know, running back veteran off the off the street, I mean, if it's Miles Sanders in Boston, Scott is the one-two. I mean, it's going to be really hard for Sanders not to absolutely smash uh, at his ADP. He goes in like late round one, early round two. His average draft position has really started to creep up over the last couple of weeks, and for good reason. Obviously, the Eagles uh, haven't signed a veteran back; they missed out on Carlos Hyde. Uh, but I think Miles Sanders is easily walking into like 65, 70% snap share this year. Uh, and if he gets 90 targets, I mean, he's he's going to push top six, top eight running back numbers. Mm. Yeah, what athletic trait, when you're talking about Miles, and, you know, he was one of the guys that, uh, and certainly in that class two seasons ago, had, uh, you know, one of the best athletic performances at the Combine. What trait matters most to you? You talk about like short area burst and lateral agility, change of direction, uh, long speed. Which athletic trait matters most to you with the running back spot? You know, I have a really, I have a really, we could talk for an hour about combine metrics and the bones I have to pick with combine metrics. Um, I think we do a really poor job of, uh, of uh, evaluating athleticism um, as a whole, but with the, the data that we do have and the, the, the metrics that we do have, I think short area burst and elusiveness is by far uh, the most desirable traits you could find for, for a running back. The problem is, I mean, we don't really chart it. I, I, care, uh, I care more about a running back's burst between two and five yards than I do in his burst between 10 and 15, just simply because in the NFL, you don't get a lot of plays where you can hit home runs. Now, obviously, the home run plays are sexy. It's always fun to go back and watch, you know, Chris Johnson's long runs or Derrick Henry's long runs. I mean, they're, they're a lot of fun and they're highlight-worthy plays, but uh, 99% of plays just don't even have that ability. They're, they're just not going to go off like that. Uh, I wish we could do a better job, and I, we could do a better job of, of uh, I, I think, um, uh, quantifying burst in, in short areas and, and doing a better job, too, with, with agility. The problem now, Fran, is like nobody wants to do the agility drills. Nobody's wanting to waste their time with the combine with it. So we just don't have a lot of data on it, unfortunately. One of the things I think is not really talked about too much coming off of this past combine, you know, they had the, the change in the format and everything like that. A lot of guys either didn't run the shuttles, like you just mentioned, or they ran them and they didn't do well. And that's not just at you know the wide receiver position or the running back position. That's across the board. For the most part, the guys that ran it, for the most part, didn't run them well because they were, you know, one of the things that they did, you know, they, with everything going on TV and everything, the shuttles for the most part, for most guys got pushed to the end of the workout after positional work. So, you know, they, they ran their forties, they did their jumps, they did everything else. They did all of the full position workout. And then they went over and did their shuttles. And, you know, for, for I think for that reason, personally, and no one's told me this, but I saw, you saw so many guys that didn't participate in the shuttles and the guys that did, they just did, they didn't, and they didn't have the pro days to be able to improve on those numbers or to yeah. add them into the, uh, into the data set. 
Yeah. Could you imagine like you're, you're going through, you're waking up at 5 a.m. every morning in Indy, you're going through meetings, you're getting ready, you're getting stretched out. And then like, you know, you've got to do all your on-field work. You've got to meet all the teams. And then at the end of the day, you know, you've got to do your on-field work and uh, you know, it's midnight and you're, you're getting asked to run the short shuttle. I wouldn't want to do it either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what, it, what, that was one of my big takeaways just coming out and then looking at all of the data, all the, the test scores uh, afterwards, it certainly Really, really interesting. What part of the projection from, you know, talking about the running backs, and this could be on field or it can be, you know, from the, uh, from the combine and that standpoint as well. What part of it do you feel is a little overrated, you know, when we're talking like media sphere and from the fans and everything? Uh, what part do you feel is just getting a little bit too much hype? For, you know, are you talking about a, a part of a running back's game or? Uh, really, yeah, I would say any, any part of the running back evaluation. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, in the NFL, there's just 15 or 20 guys that have the same ability to run inside the tackles. I I just think if you're looking for traits and traits alone, um, there are guys like Jonathan Taylor and JK Dobbins who do exceptionally well running inside, but by and large, it's just not that much of a high value trait in the NFL. Hmm. Um, One of the things I have been really coming back to is, you know, and the whole running backs don't matter debate. I think, I think that crew just kind of, the the problem is is it's not that running backs don't matter it's that running the ball in the nfl does not consistently win you games and if you're going to run the ball as the basis of your offense you've got to be extremely extremely different in the way you go about it look at the ravens this past year i mean lamar jackson is a freak obviously and anything he brings to the outside is just it's going to be lights out i mean anything he gets to the second level is really difficult to defend but all the the things that the ravens do in terms of their shifting in terms of their motions terms of their run action stuff that's very different look at the 49ers too again use a lot of motion a lot of outside zone concepts but they're constantly rotating backs in and out they're constantly using play action to set up their run uh, I think the whole debate of, of running backs don't matter kind of misses the point it's like if you're going to run the ball in the NFL like just running the ball up the gut like Bill O'Brien does just slamming his running back up the middle you're probably not going to win a whole lot of games that's going to be really inefficient but if you're gonna if you're gonna set up your offense around the run game, you've got to do things differently. Um, and if you're just gonna you know call a, a running back dive on first and ten, obviously that's the most inefficient play that you can call. Um, that being said, though, I've really come back around to the, especially the last couple of years, really trying to watch every single play of a running back in the passing game. Mm. Uh, what a running back provides. Um, you know, not just in pass protection, just in terms of his route running ability. Um, and this was even before Clyde Edwards got picked. This was before uh, he went to the Chiefs and it just was a perfect spot for fantasy football. But I, I say Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the best route runner I have seen come out of college football since Christian McCaffrey. I agree with um, you. Yep. And, I mean, I, I just thought wherever he was going to go, he was going to be an absolute problem in a team's passing game just because he was such a one-on-one nightmare nightmare, uh, mis- mismatch nightmare for, for, for linebackers. I mean, I, I remember vividly there were you know, four games against Georgia, Alabama last year, where he was just getting loose at will, making throws super easy for Joe Burrow against great linebackers and safety. So if you're, if you're the, the, if your main argument around a running back these days is always oh, his, his inside running ability is, uh, is fantastic. Like he's one of the best inside runners in the NFL, I would just question you to be like, okay, how, how valuable actually is that trade? Because mm-hmm. you can find Jordan Howard off the street and pay him a couple million dollars. And he's, you know, easily one of the best 15 or 20 inside runners in the NFL. But if he's a fantastic pass catcher, like we've seen out of Miles Sanders, like we've seen from Christian McCaffrey, um, 
those those are the guys that I think that think I think matter. Alvin Kamara, uh, another good example. You know, a running back's ability in the passing game is is really truly what matters to their game, and um, that's that's where the kind of a lot of my focus is uh, not only on um, evaluating running backs coming into the NFL, but for fantasy too. Hmm. To me, like it's always interesting because uh, more so with running back because of the, you know you mentioned the debate that's always had is like how much do running backs matter? Not just with you know what do they get paid you know from the free agent market or with the second or third contract, but you know with you know draft capital. You know, oh, it's worth a first round pick. It's worth a second round pick. No, you wait till day three. To me, I, you look at it. It's like all right. Well, well, then what happens if you stack? If you've got one of those guys, if you've got Christian McCaffrey, if you've got Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. How does that player line up in terms of value with other players at his position or at other positions at that caliber? And I think when you look at the, all right, well, yeah, we've got Alvin Kamara. We got him in the third round. You know, okay, well, what happens when you've got that guy in your offense? I guess it depends on, on scheme and situation as well. But they can be so valuable. <laughs> and that's right. the problem is like they can be such impact players uh, in your scheme. And to me, I think the, the whole conversation, I agree with you, that just saying, oh, it's a, it's a black and white issue. No, don't, don't draft a running back early or don't pay a guy big money. That kind of misses the point in that, you, yeah, like the, these guys are valuable. It's about right. how you find them and ultimately how you utilize them as well in the scope of your offense. Yeah, well, well, two follow-ups on that. One is, you know, the, the running backs don't matter crew. They always say you can find a UDFA running back. Raheem Mostert right. was the most recent example. And it's like, if it were that easy, like, no one would draft running backs ever. I mean, right. UDFA guys just have, like, a, they have, like, literally an 8% hit rate. Um, the other thing that, I, that, I, that bothers me is, like, I just feel like there's a, there's a general lack of, like, people physically watching every single play. I mean, if you're watching Joe Mixon late last year behind the Bengals offensive line, like, look, there's just a lot of data that's not going to capture what Joe Mixon had to do uh, to get yards last year. I mean, especially late in the year when that offensive line was just completely falling apart. I, I cannot remember how many plays I saw from Mixon uh, where he would, you know, have to, you know, he would, the, the, the backfield would be flooded before he even, you know, got two to three steps into his, into his read and, you know, he would be creating on his own, uh, already. Um, I just, I just have a hard time. I have a hard time wrapping my head around saying, you know, someone like Joe Mixon or Nick Chubb or Saquon Barkley doesn't matter when we see plays, you know, uh, even though they're infrequent and even though they're not super valuable because, you know, in running the ball is inherently less efficient than passing. I just have a hard time saying, Oh my God, you know, any running back could have done that. Any running back could have turned this negative two yard, what should have been a negative two yard loss into a five yard gain. Uh, that, that's where I draw the line of like, okay, on a per play basis, sometimes running backs do matter. Maybe that play didn't end up mattering in the course of the game, uh, but there's not many running backs that can make plays like some of the true, true elite talents in the NFL can make. So let me ask you this question, because I think, you know, when you talk about like the guys who, who I would say are, are like the elites, right? You want to say Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, Saquon. You throw Joe Mixon into that from a talent standpoint as well. All four of those guys have the run game value, but also pass game value. They've got the ability to be foundation players any given week in the court, you know, carry the ball 25, you know, 28 times, whatever. When you get to guys like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb and their value in the pass game in terms of being receivers and matchup players out of the backfield is a little bit more limited. How, how does that affect, you, you know, the way that you view them, not from a fantasy standpoint, but in terms mm -hmm. of their value to a franchise, you know, we'll say going into any given season? 
Well, Nick Chubb coming out, I thought Chubb had the best vision and the best feet of any running back I have seen. I mean, just everything he did was just efficient. Uh, he, there was no wasted motion, and that's, that's come to fruition with the NFL. I mean, I think if you were to line up um, the best, let's say, you know, we were talking about inside runners. We, you line up the five best inside runners, I think any given week, Nick Chubb's up there with, with Zeke. Uh, same with Derrick Henry. Um, the thing with, with Henry, though, Fran, is like, uh, I just think he's an outlier. I mean, he's just yeah, a true right. size speed freak. I mean, yep. how many guys have we seen coming to the NFL that are over six feet tall that weigh, I mean, I know he's listed at 245. He doesn't weigh 245. He's a man out there. Uh, how many guys do we see like that that are six feet tall and just, you know, can have enough burst and have just enough wiggle to make guys miss? I mean, uh, we've just seen so many big plodding backs come to the NFL and just bashing in the back of their offensive line. And I think Henry is rookie year. If you go back and watch some of that tape, I mean, he definitely needed to get a little bit better in his burst. I mean, you compare Derrick Henry's tape from year one as a rookie to now and his footwork, his, and his, his decisiveness is just so much better. I don't think Henry has gotten enough credit for that. Um, I do think with Chubb and Henry in particular, though, it comes down to scheme. And, and those teams could be doing a better job of, of kind of uh, not tipping their hands so much when Chubb and Henry are on the field. Because when those guys are on the field, you're typically expecting run. I think the Browns and Titans could both do a better job of setting up Henry uh, and Chubb in the screen game and kind of getting them more, a little bit more involved in the passing game uh, just to kind of throw off the scent of the defense. That's more of a scheme question because when we've seen Nick Chubb catch the ball, it's not like he's a bad pass catcher. Uh, Derrick Henry is another question, though. Uh, I don't think Derrick Henry is ever going to catch 50 balls, but um, he could certainly be a little bit better utilized, especially in the screen, screen game for the Titans. Let me ask you this, because you, you, you say so many great things every time. We, we, anytime you and I have ever had a conversation, like I, I'm always so impressed with some of the things that uh, you say about the running back position. You talk about a guy's vision. You talk about a guy's feet. Where does that come into play for you when you're kind of stacking traits, you know, and you're looking at the ability to create the, you know, make that first man miss, create yards for yourself. You talk about some of the physical traits as well. Uh, you know, it, when you talk about vision and instincts, what, A, what does that look like for you? And then B, how does that kind of stack on the board of, you know, critical factors at the position? It's up there. Um, the problem I have is like instincts and vision is just such a hard thing to quantify. Right. It's almost, yeah. it's pretty much impossible. Yeah. And, you know, look, I love PFF and I, I've, uh, I've learned a lot from them, but you know, they, they always try to say, Oh, we know where this play is going. We like, we know where this play is designed to go. And by and large, yeah, sure. And especially in running games, running game is pretty predictable. And a lot of guys, a lot of, the, a lot of NFL teams run the same stuff, but like, we don't know every single play, what the processing is for running back. You know, we, we don't, we just aren't privy to that. Um, what it looks like to me though, is, is, I mean, we can go right back to the Nick Chubb example. I mean, if you just slow down, you know, uh, the tape to 75, 50% speed, and just really watch where his feet are going. And, and uh, there's really no wasted movement. Uh, the flip side of that was Cam Akers this year. Uh, Cam Akers had incredible instinct, but terrible footwork because he was trying to do too much. Everything, all his processing just seems so, so fast to me because Florida State's offensive line was brutal. Uh, he just, <laughs> he had to do too much. I mean, he was constantly harassed in the backfield and uh, I think it sped up his processing. So I think it's one of those things where you have to take it on a team by team basis. You got to take it on a player by player basis, but you also have to understand that, you know, if you don't have good vision in the NFL, like you're not, you're not going to play uh, at all. And that's the thing with a lot of these UDFA backs is like, they're great athletes and they might've had a little bit of college production, but 
um, you know, they just don't have the best instinct. They don't, they don't know how to set up their blocks. They don't know how to be patient. Um, and, and that's, that is one thing that's obviously a desirable trait and, and coaches and, and teams evaluate for it. Uh, the simple answer is, is like, you, you really have to take it on a team by team basis and be, uh, be very careful, um, at the, the outcomes you're, you're trying to derive from it just simply because there's so many team, uh, team factors that go into play there. Is there a, you know, when you talk about like zone scheme versus gap scheme and things of that nature, when you're looking at backs at the college level, uh, if a guy runs primarily zone scheme versus primarily gap scheme, is that something that you do take note of? Is that something that, how does that factor into the valuation for you? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Last year, Darrell Henderson is like a perfect example of this. Uh, Memphis's offensive line and their scheme, I mean, it, it was, I mean, he basically ran one play. Uh, yeah, he ran one play. I always knew, um, let me back up. Darrell Henderson last year, he was one of the most creative backs that I've ever charted. Uh, he's up there at the top with Mixon and Zeke in terms of yards created per temp. Memphis's, Memphis's offensive line was also one of the best I've ever charted. I think they're like one or two in yards blocked per attempt. Um, they just did a fan fantastic job, not only with their offensive line, but with their scheme and getting, uh, Henderson and Pollard into space just schematically. Um, there are always going to be a few teams that are better at it every single year. I mean, Georgia just recruits, you know, the best offensive lineman, uh, you know, the best offensive lineman in the country possible. Um, I do think, you know, if you, if you are coming out of college and you only run zone, you're probably going to fare pretty well because a lot of those concepts kind of mirror the NFL, but, um, you know, Darrell Henderson last year was a fantastic example of like, there's going to sometimes be a lag time between guys that come from these super schemed up running games like Memphis. Um, they're few and far between, but they're out there and there's going to be a little bit of lag time sometimes when, when the guy has to uh, completely learn a new blocking scheme. Because again, if you go back and watch Henderson in the preseason last year and, and you have a little bit of carries he got in the regular season, I mean, he was a totally different back just, uh, looked lost and was not as nearly explosive. And it's simply because he wasn't seeing the field as clearly as he was at Memphis. Yeah. I think it's a huge, huge part uh, of the evaluation. And I say this with, with all positions. It's, it's not just, Hey, like what did the guy do in college? It's what did the guy do in college that translates to what you do in the NFL, you know, with each uh, specific team. And I think that, that, uh, you know, it's a huge part of the evaluation, trying to find guys that uh, have that ability to leverage early success. Well, Graham, Dude, this has been awesome. Really, really appreciate the time once again here uh, on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We'll be talking to you again very soon, hopefully. Yeah, thanks, Fran. I appreciate it, man. Now more than ever, we have come to understand the importance of celebrating special moments with those that we love. The Eagles Autism Foundation and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia want to help you commemorate these occasions. Throughout June, you'll have the unique opportunity to recognize someone special by posting a message on the video board at Lincoln Financial Field. Visit PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash Eagles Autism Foundation to learn how to celebrate with a shout out. Great stuff there from Graham, and you could follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Graham Barfield. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. And look, we're hopefully getting closer and closer to the start of the 2020 football season. If you 
you've got any kind of question that you want answered, if you want any kind of on-field schematic explained, any kind of scheme we can t- take a deep dive into, any position like this running back one that you want to dive into closely and you know, talk about which traits matter, now's the time. Go on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.